Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Welcome to the Inside Try Show with Helen Murray. This is the podcast that takes a deeper look at the sport with in-depth interviews and special episodes to keep you entertained and inspired while you're training. Okay, and rolling. Hello and welcome to episode 168 of the Inside Try Show, sponsored by Form Swim, smart swim goggles with real-time metrics as you swim. I'm Helen Murray and each week on the Inside Try Show I bring you awesome interviews from triathlon and beyond. Now, I could have chatted with this week's guest, Mel Nichols, for hours. She's the sort of person whose passion for life is infectious, and I honestly want a bit of whatever she is on. Mel has so many stories to share of trying to live life to the full, despite some really, really tough times as well. And I actually asked someone, thinking of those tough times, a bit along those lines of, of, of a question, like how the heck do you stay so positive when you've had so much utter crap thrown at you? And they said, I just try to take some positive from each day. It sounds cliched and crap, but I do get down about stuff. And so I try to have at least one thing I'm happy about every day and that the crapness doesn't add up to something too big. How, I mean, how wise is that? How wise is that? Anyway, you are going to love the interview with Mel, which you will be hearing very, very soon. Nia, thank you very much for your note about Dave Tonge. You said this is a brilliant episode. I can highly recommend it. So this is the swimming one with Dave Tonge down in Cardiff. If you haven't heard it, go and listen to it. You hear not just from Dave, you hear about the 85-year-old learning to swim and you hear former Wales rugby player Alex Popham talking about early onset dementia at the age of 40 and how he's doing Ironman Wales and how he's going to be taking on a channel relay swim like Rugby Union against Rugby League. Lowry on that Dave Tonge episode and Alex Popper, you said this was a super and engaging listen. I'm really excited to hear how the channel swim goes too. Dave, you've been listening to Alice Hector. You said this was really enjoyable. 
she was always the nicest pro in triathlon and sounds really, really happy. Susie, you just said, I love you, Alice, and I love you, Helen. Thanks, Susie. Tom, you said, this is a fascinating transformation. I am adding this. I don't know if you mean like just this episode or this whole podcast to the listening list, if it's the whole kind of podcast. Hi, Tom. Welcome along. And Fee, you said this was really, really interesting. And Laura, you simply said to, whoa, no, actually, the word was squee two of my favorite people so yeah thank you very much and vernon thank you for signing up to be a patron of the podcast it is much appreciated always love what you're hearing up to vernon if you also like what i do you want to support the podcast that would be amazing just head over to patreon.com forward slash inside try show now one patron listener is going to be winning a pair of form swim goggles later this week actually to tie in with a bit of a big birthday for me. Happy birthday to me. Form have been sponsoring the podcast over the last six months and they've done something pretty cool recently as well, which is to give the five women who are going to be taking part in The Rock in September in Abbasoch, so it's the Inside Tri-Show team, they've given all five of them a pair of Form swim goggles each. So that's really cool. So yeah, you're going to be meeting the Fab Five next week as I wanted to celebrate International Women's Day in style. Anyway, back to the form swim goggles. So if like me, you lose count in the pool of how many lengths you've done, pretty, pretty normal, isn't it? In a 25 meter pool, because I have to go up and down so many times, or maybe you're just not sure how far you've swum. Well, I'm not joking, with the form swim goggles, you never have to worry about either of those things again because it's there. It is in front of you. Maybe a bit like me, you can't read the set at your club swim because your eyes are bad. Again, it's literally, it's there in your goggles. But if maybe you're thinking, well, mm, they're a blooming expensive thing. Yes, they are. How do I know if I'm going to like them? Well, I guess you don't until you try them. So they do offer a free 30 day return they also come with a two-year warranty so there is a lot of good stuff about them for a 15 percent discount head over to formswim.com forward slash pages forward slash inside try show the link is in the show notes as well time for this week's interview mel nichols is one of a kind and despite three strokes in her 20s mel has vowed to never stop dreaming big she has represented Great Britain at two Paralympics in para-athletics. She then switched to para-cycling before setting her eyes on a third Paralympics in Paris in 2024, this time in para-triathlon. Mel has hand-cycled around the Faroe Islands. She's hand-cycled from Land's End to John O'Groats. She has hand-cycled all the way around Great Britain. Her passion and her love for life is infectious. Mel Nichols, welcome to the Inside Try Show. Mel, how are you doing? I'm doing well, thank you. I'm enjoying a little bit of sunshine in these winter days, which is always nice. <laughs> love that, love that. And uh, Mel, as we're recording this, I think we're both shattered. It's sort of, what, 6pm on a Wednesday. I've had a mad day at work and I guess you've had a mad day of training as well. Yeah, not too mad, thankfully. Um, but yeah, the training days kind of build up, don't they? So uh, certainly by this time of night, I'm ready for um, a hot bath and some food and then some sleep. Mel, there are quite a few different podcasts out there with your back story. So I was thinking I want to chat a little bit about that, but actually I want to chat more about 
like you and what you're doing now and picking your brains as well a little bit actually so I think just a little bit about you it's really hard when you say like sum up because it just seems so much and so long ago (laughs) where to even start so in 2008 I had uh, my last of a series of uh, strokes um, so before that, I was able-bodied. Um, I won't say that I was particularly an athlete before, but um, I always uh, rode horses or I'd have always had horses. I did sort of a bit more sort of adventure sports, so climbing, kayaking, mountain biking, that kind of stuff. Uh, always active, always wanted to be outside doing something. But yeah, as, as, as it sort of came to an athlete, no, I wouldn't really put myself in that bracket. Um, and then after 2008, sort of really started when I was in hospital um it um the Beijing Paralympics was on tv and having had two strokes before that I knew that the journey was going to be really tough and I knew it was potentially going to be quite long um I didn't know how much I was going to recover I think in my head because I had more or less recovered previously that I would but I wasn't prepared to hang around and just wait until I was recovered to get on with things so I think watching the Paralympics which I didn't really have much awareness of before that um but when you're in hospital you don't have a lot else to do than watch TV do you so uh I just remember watching it and thinking well there's lots I can do for now you know until whatever it is that um I can walk again or, or ride a bike again or ride a horse again or whatever that might be so that definitely inspired me to just uh, once I was uh, well enough to find out what I could do in in sport and um I just bothered everybody I could and did everything I could and that's kind of that's kind of where the Paralympic journey I started I think. London 2012 then was your first Paralympics? Yeah yeah so I, I one of my sports was athletics wheelchair racing um, I went up and tried it, having not really known much about wheelchair racing other than um, knew of um, Dave Weir and Tanny Gray-Thompson racing marathons. And at the time, I had no intention of racing marathons <laughs> far too long. And for me, you know, kind of I saw wheelchair racing as a alternative to sort of my nightly runs around the block after work or something. And um, very quickly ended up training with uh, Wheelchair Racing Academy, where I'm still trained now. And within 15 months of starting, yeah, it was quite a whirlwind, um, racing around the world, getting on the world rankings, um, doing, there was a slight chance that I could potentially get to London 2012, but obviously I was a massive outsider. I wasn't on the, on the Paralympic programme. I wasn't with British athletics. Uh, there were many people, very, very great athletes that were. So to get the selection sort of a month before the games and get the call up to my first international competition, which was at London 2012, which was a little bit bonkers. So yeah, that was my first games. And then I, from then on, I was on with British athletics with the world-class program um, through to Rio, which after Rio, I stepped away um, to actually focus on marathons. <laughs> and how, how was the focusing on marathons, Mel? I actually, I really love distance. (laughs) Um, For me, I've never been particularly a sprinter, I wouldn't think. Uh, So actually, the track track racing is great, which was what I was doing at London and at Rio. But the longest distance I could do for GB was 800 metres, which I loved. Um, But, you know, on a track, you're just going left (laughs) in a circle. So I love hills. I love the road and the distance. So for me, going sort of seeing where I could go with the marathon was um, was exciting. And yeah, it's something I still love doing. Where does the um, paracycling come into this whole story? Yeah, well, cycling, I always always ridden my bike since I was a kid. I didn't really know, I think, about hand cycling, um, but I actually had an injury, uh, a shoulder injury, just coming out of London 2012. So I was out of my racing chair and I was in the gym as part of my rehab. I was on like a static hand bike in the gym. 
Um, and I'm not very good at being inside. I want to be outside as much as I can. And I then sort of start to find out about hand bikes. So I asked my physio at the time, my GP physio, um, can I can I use a hand bike or get a hand bike and rehab outside? And she was like, okay, as long as you don't race it. <laughs> of course, I didn't last too long. But yeah, so that's kind of where the bike came. And it was a uh, bikes of any kind are just incredible. They're like a, another level of freedom. So for me, you know, my bike always featured in my training because it was great cross training for wheelchair racing kept my shoulders healthy kept my mind healthy um and I when I could I, I would do a bit of racing um alongside my athletics but at the time obviously I was a funded athlete for athletics um and then again when I moved away from from athletics um after Rio then there was a chance I, I thought well I think I could do well at, at cycling, at paracycling. So let's see where we can take that. So um was transferred onto the British cycling squad for um, on the GB team. And uh, yeah, went with that for a, a few years as well. Inter- right, out, out of interest, how, how did they compare going from the athletics to the cycling? As a sport or as a, a mode of sport, I suppose, they are very different. Obviously, a handbike is a bike. So, you know, you've got gears. It's basically, it's got three wheels. Recumbents are more or less lying down. Uh, and it's kind of tipped up, the bike tipped upside down. So the gearing is the opposite almost of what you'd have on your bike. Um, and it's very, it is about power, but it's very much uh, cardio as well. Whereas a race chair, the position I'm leaning forwards, my knees, my legs are underneath me. Um, I'm sort of smashing down on a, on a pushroom of a wheel. There's no gears or anything. So it's very, very different. That's completely, it's skill, but very much power based as well. Um, so yeah, they're very, very different, uh, uh, different ways of, of moving of sport. And people always ask me like, what do I love most? And I really couldn't say, because, you know, like your children, I love them both equally <laughs> for different reasons. <laughs> And now, Mel, we can throw a little bit of uh, swimming into the equation uh, because you're actually on the British para triathlon set. You're, you're with that setup now. So, how on earth did that come about? Yeah, it's <laughs> a very good question. Obviously, so cycling and wheelchair racing has continued uh, since um, Rio, and I've been doing marathons I've been doing some cycling I've then sort of moved on to even uh, further distance so a lot of ultra cycling has been and still is my absolute passion that for me just to ride my bike all day every day <laughs> go as far as I can is just what I absolutely love doing and the swimming side of it I I've swam on and off again as a bit of cross training um, I think for me, for, for my mind, definitely, it's good to sort of mix things up a bit. Um, and for my body, because of my strokes, I'm very dominant on the right side. So my left side doesn't really work very much at all. So the right side gets quite a battering. So for me to do, and obviously I'm arm only, arms only athlete as well. So for me to be able to do other things in training is really good. Um, it just helps with a bit of injury prevention. So swimming was always that kind of um hydrotherapy kind of aspect really or just switch off and get in the water so it's always been there I I I swam as a child but only we didn't swim at school so it was a case of you know do your wits get your badges um hadn't got a clue how to do front crawl I took myself where I live in Tewkesbury in Gloucestershire I took myself to an adult's lesson I think back in 2014 because I think that was the first time I kind of heard about paratriathlon not that I particularly thought I'd ever do it but it was just like 
oh, power triathlon, there's a thing. So <laughs> I might go and learn to swim. And I remember having one adult lesson. She sort of showed me what front crawl was about. And that was all I did. And then from then on, I was kind of a bit self-taught. And if ever I was in a, a pool, I'd kind of have a go. But I really didn't know how to do proper swimming. And uh, I ended up in the end of 2019, I ended up joining our local triathlon club. It took me probably about four years to pluck up the courage to go and to inquire about joining because I had no inclination of uh, doing a triathlon. Although I would have, I would potentially like to do, you know, a long distance, like an Ironman or something, maybe at the end of my career. Um, but as triathlon goes, I thought, well, I'm not a triathlete. I'm never going to be a triathlete, so I can't join a triathlon club. But I was training on my own every day um, on the bike and obviously my race chair. And it was also like, I wanted to swim better and I wanted to have that social aspect of training again. You know, I love training on my own, but also it's nice to have people around you and have that social side. So, yeah, so I ended up um, inquiring and put my brave boots on and uh, they said, oh, yeah, come down to the pool. And and I guess it kind of started from there, really. I mean, we went into lockdown a few months after. So everything was then online. But it was that community that built between between us all and dry land swimming online and Turbo Tuesdays online and all the rest of it that kind of built that that group that um, I guess just kept me kept me motivated to get back in the pool. <laughs> so then was it a bet or or quite what that you actually ended up on the start line of a triathlon? <laughs> my my uh, clubmates say that a few of them have always joked uh, and obviously knowing that Paris was going to be the next games and joking about saying oh yeah Paris isn't far and we could we could go and book our tickets or whatever and it's always like the in joke about that and Paris women and paratriathlon and again I had no intention and I did um, an interview for uh, England Triathlon, um, would have been year before last, I think it was like the December of 2021. And basically uh, they'd gone to, somehow my our chairman had, had heard that they wanted to do interview an interview with a club, a community club about inclusion. So they said, oh, Mel, you know, will you do have a chat about inclusion in our club? I was like, yeah, of course I will. So that was kind of what the intention was. Um, And then the the person on the phone, he sort of said, oh, oh, is that the Mel Nichols? I was like, well, depends what who the Mel Nichols you you want. Um, And then he sort of did a bit of research and obviously realised who I was. And he said, so you've never done a triathlon before? And I was like, no. (laughs) And so basically he said, oh, well, would you do one? And we'll we'll follow you in, in on your journey. So I kind of agreed to that. But in my head, it was like, I'll just do a local triathlon. We, our club has one every year. So potentially I was going to do that one. In the end, um, that year, I did something bike based uh, a bit bigger. So uh, I wasn't available. So I kind of to, looked what else I could do. Um, and yeah, my, my club mates were always just kind of a bit of a bit of banter, really. Um, I got promised an ice cream if I go and do a triathlon. And <laughs> thanks to good enough reasons, any, I think. So I, I found one that I could go and do as a non-classified athlete. Um, planning to go quite under the radar and just to see where I came out I didn't want to mess up I was really worried about that because I was conscious that people would be watching um, and I just wanted to do okay for myself uh, and basically not drown that was my my goal for the day (laughs) (laughs) and you're here so you didn't drown but actually did you manage to go under the radar or not (laughs) (laughs) no (laughs) (laughs) no it was an event organized by British Triathlon and it it had a power triathlon there so um when I was looking for an event it had to be obviously accessible uh, and that was I didn't really know kind of what I needed but the fact that it was um, a super series event that was a power triathlon I knew that that would be okay for me 
so um yeah I turned up and um the uh, Paralympic pathway manager was there and sort of came up to me and before I'd even you know got in my wetsuit he said oh so Mel how's your swim um I'd only actually done a one open water swim which was like two days before with our club <laughs> so judging on that well we got through one but yeah I had I had no idea I just wanted to get through the swim and then I knew that I could get on my bike and I knew that I could push a race chair um and that that was it for me um I went into that race though with such tunnel vision because I was so just I didn't want to like mess up so I had just this I had no idea where I was in the race um I just kind of yeah blinkers on and off I went <laughs> it, it didn't go badly though did it that's the thing it did not go badly no, it didn't go badly. Um, I remember sort of waiting. We had a deep water start and then there was only a few of us in that race, which which was lovely. But still, it's amazing the pressure you put on yourself. You know, you could have two of you in a race or you could have 200. But I think sometimes the, the pressure is equal. Uh, and yeah, so you know, just don't drown. Um, swim, swam as hard as I could. Um, had no, remem- didn't remember sort of, or didn't, no recollection of kind of where anybody else was in the race. Um, and it, apparently, well, I came out uh, first female. So there was one guy that was ahead of me out of the water. Um, obviously didn't have any idea about that. <laughs> and then just, yeah, went round on a uh, bike. Um, remember losing my bottle carrier, I think, on the bike somewhere. And that got lost in head I think I lost a few things that was all some learnings um dead turns that was really interesting um as a wheelchair racer a marathon racer and a, a bike racer we don't do dead turns so what was this about <laughs> I remember having some choice words on the first one on the first lap going this is ridiculous we can't do this so then this by the second and third I gone oh yeah this is how we do it <laughs> so it was a steep learning curve and then yeah finished finished um race across the line I think first female and um again second overall so uh yeah really pleased with that did you enjoy it (laughs) I think I was asked pretty soon if I'd do another one and before they'd even finish the sentence I was like nope 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 don't ask me nope (laughs) (laughs) but I did enjoy it I did enjoy it uh yeah, it was very, I had a, a great friend helping me out on the day. Um, and we had, we did have a lot of laughs and there was a lot of smiling and laughing. So I think that's whatever you do, that's what it's got to be about, isn't it? So um, it was an enjoyable experience. And even though I put pressure on myself, there wasn't really the pressure there. So that was so nice. And all the racing I've been doing recently, apart from um, the marathons, it's, it is quite solo and, and mm-hmm. to have people sort of on a course and, people around you and cheering you and supporting you is really lovely and it's been it was nice to get back into that arena again then you did the world triathlon Paris series race in Swansea and ended up you were fourth weren't you I mean that's it was that like your second triathlon Mel yeah that was my second triathlon um yeah and I had um so my my before coming to Para, or before accidentally coming into para triathlon, uh, my focus and very much was was on for my ultra cycling. So I'd already had big plans for last year. I started the year racing out in America, doing some twenty four hour racing and world record stuff. And then for the summer for last year, I was doing the Pan Celtic ultra race. Um, and so that was that was always going to happen. So um, British triathlon had asked me if I would consider racing again, and eventually I said I would. I would I would do one more. So that was going to be Swansea. Um, but before that, I had Pancaltic race and went off to, to Wales, went over to Ireland, racing the Pancaltic. I actually 
ended up injuring myself uh, whilst I was racing Pancaltic. So I had to uh, stop that race early. At the time, I was absolutely gutted about that. But also I knew that if I had completed Pancaltic, it would have given me like two weeks for then to be ready for Swansea. Obviously, I'd done no triathlon training. I'd done ultra cycling training. Um, so that was going to be quite an extreme um, to go from one to the other. So although it was really bad that I injured myself and, and then had to sort of recover from that, potentially it was a good thing because I had slightly more time uh, for Swansea but it, I probably had been back in I mean I hadn't done much in the way of training maybe I'd, I just about you know a week's worth before Swansea uh, and yeah and then went into my second ever triathlon at a World Series event which I, I don't think I quite realized how enormous that was at the time which is probably a good thing it was very intimidating but um probably yeah didn't I, when you're oblivious it's quite a good thing. And then was it after that or was it before that Mel that British triathlon then said Mel we want you to be part of the setup and you know working towards the Paralympics uh, in Paris in 2024. So Swansea was basically about me going going to get classified because obviously as a, a para athlete you have to be classified to race internationally uh, and nationally and internationally so I went there to get classified and just to again to enjoy or see if I did enjoy it and and I did enjoy it um but there was no one new kind of there was no expectations on me I knew that so just to see where I where how I was if I enjoyed it so to come forth at Swansea uh, was incredible I was like 25 30 seconds off the podium I think you know against the world's best uh, which was amazing and I but I love I do love Wales I race in Wales a lot and Swansea is fantastic we had our athletics European champs there in 2014 I think it was and again it was a great experience so I think Swansea helped with that one as well uh, and then so after that again I was asked you know do you want to do any more um, and I was like I'll do one more <laughs> um, and so from then basically it was it was looking at what was next on the calendar what was still left so as a new triathlete on the rankings obviously to get starts you need to um get starts so you know it's that kind of chicken and egg situation and as I was new so we were we were looking to just get that experience for me in triathlon having only ever done two with no training um and um and just get on the circuit so I had another couple of races I had one in Italy one in Portugal um and then at the end of the year the world champs was in Abu Dhabi um there was a chance that I may get selected for that the automatic selection was based on ranking world rankings and because I was although I can't gone up the rankings I was as a new athlete not having uh points on the previous year as well then obviously I wouldn't get an automatic selection but yeah so the, I was training to see if I if I uh working towards that you know to try and get selected um I did get selection so end up going off to world champs which I think was my fourth triathlon so that was pretty awesome <laughs> and then it was off the back of that then um I got selection to the world class program which is yeah which was started this year so working towards Paris 2024. After Rio after the Rio Paralympics did you think in your mind you would be going to another Paralympics in a different sport? <laughs> <laughs> did I think I was going I didn't think I was, but I hadn't ruled it out, I think was the thing. I mean, for, when when I moved over to cycling, then the plan obviously was focused towards Tokyo. But it was actually life things. Are, I moved away from cycling before that, that um, it was the right thing for me to do at the time. So that I never regretted that decision at all. But I always kept that door open. And I just thought if if the right opportunity came along and if I was in the right place, then I would consider it. 
so I think it's not that I would say that's what I wanted and that's what I was working towards no matter what but equally I won't say that I was done with it you know if it happened and yeah an opportunity sort of came along something that I'm absolutely loving doing um I'm feeling great I'm feeling as as good an athlete as I was 2011 2012 um hopefully a lot wiser (laughs) and um I think well why not you know you've got to take opportunities haven't you you've got to do everything you can while you can um and yeah if it's something you love doing so that's what I'm doing brilliant it's so good it's so good and Mel you've mentioned and I want to talk a little bit more about it but you've said that adventure is really important for you you said that you did uh, a bit of a bigger bike it was a bloody massive bike um but how do you balance that need and sort of thirst for adventure with actually being on a high performance program I don't know (laughs) It is a difficult, so you can't obviously do everything. You can't, as you know, you can't say yes to everything because it doesn't work like that. You you end up burning out. You end up not not succeeding yourself or for everybody else as well. So I've had a, a couple of years where it, it has been, the focus has been that adventure. But even within that, uh, when I, my first sort of major um perform bring trying to bring performance into the adventure when I uh raced Land's End John O'Groats for the world record on a handbike back in 2019 and the, the that was my plan to have this kind of adventure side of stuff uh, which I'd started but then try and bring the, the the world-class sort of performance angle into it and it was a success you know broke the world record it was amazing but it I was still wasn't quite sure at that point as to where that where that point fitted along that line like was it performance or was it adventure um so then sort of moving through that again there's been you know stuff I've done that's been self-supported so cycling around the coast of Britain um that was a bit longer and that was totally self-supported so that was you know definitely more further towards adventure but it was also about performance because again it was for another world record or and it was the fastest known time and all those sort of things and that's who I am you know I love being outdoors I love that adventure and exploring but I love the performance and when I went when I did cycling around um Britain I definitely had those moments of days and I sort of I wanted to stop I wanted to take things in a bit more I wanted to maybe spend a day and go and see whatever it was I was at but then in my head it's like you're in a race you know you've you've got to keep moving you've got to keep moving so I haven't found that balance even in my own mind um I think let alone you know where I sit and and my career um but I guess it's kind of fun exploring that really. Um, then last beginning last year when I was racing ultra again, but I had a, a somebody as a crew. So that was definitely more on the, the performance side. But at, at the moment, you know, my job is to race sprint triathlon. So I can't really be racing 24 hour uh, time trials and then trying to be, you know, world class at racing a sprint try. So it's, but at the moment, you know, it's got to be a focus on the uh, the try stuff. And I think it's really important to keep that endurance base in there because that keeps me happy. It's who I am, but also it's great for, for fitness and for having that base as well. So, yeah, as to how we balance it, that's work in progress. <laughs> we took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. 
Play it now with Game Pass. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. And I, I guess the pressures are, you know, if you, let's say you're doing self-supported, right? You've got, okay, you might have certain time pressures in there, but also you've got the logistical pressures. You've got the pressures that actually you want to get to a certain place by the end of the day. Whereas maybe now on that high performance, mm. you do have perhaps a little bit more external pressure and that you, you know, you want to perform and you are, that that's it. You're on that program effectively to perform, right? Yeah, completely. It is that, you know, it's pressures in different ways, like you say, and being out on the road, as, as sort of corny as it sounds, it's almost that survival pressure because you have to find your food. You have to look after yourself. You know, when I was on the Pankouta, you, you've got to, you, it's just down to you. So you've got to find your water. You've got to find your food. You've got to eventually find somewhere to have a few hours sleep, even if it is a hedge or a bus stop or you know, whatever it might be. Um, you've got to look after yourself out there. And, and, and obviously with the um, world-class environment I'm in now, it's very different because there is a team around me that are uh, looking out for us, looking out for us athletes. But it's the, the same, we've got to be responsible. So we have to say if we've got a bit an issue, you know, that maybe that needs looking at or or uh, struggling with training or whatever. And those pressures, you know, coming from still within ourselves, because I think they have to, because otherwise you wouldn't be there if you weren't pushing yourself. You can't just be on a, a team and, and you not really care about it because you wouldn't be there in the first place. You know, it's not about other people making things happen. It's about you making it happen. So I think not one's easier than the other. You know, you, it's, it's nice to have that team around you that go, that I know, well, if I need to see a physio or a doctor or whatever it is, um, S and C, then there'll be someone to pick up those pieces. Whereas I guess, you know, when it's just down to yourself, you haven't got that. Um, but then maybe the bit of the freedom's gone. I don't know. Uh, mm-hmm. I think, yeah, they're both they're both pressures in good ways. But I, yeah, I was saying, no, pressure is a privilege, isn't it? So <laughs> let's keep on with the uh, Pan Celtic because I'm going to be doing the short race in the summer. Very much looking forward to yeah. it. What do I need to know, Mel? What do I need to know? Never. I've I've done cycle touring, but I've never done like uh, bike packing, as in. The, the actual racing oh you're going to be amazing you're going to absolutely love it you're going to have some really tough times <laughs> but then you're just you're just the, the best times will definitely um be what what you'll remember um uh, they say like they call it a clan because it is you know everyone that does it there's so many different people from different backgrounds which is so wonderful and people are just friendly and want to want everyone's on their own journey but people want to see you and support you and when I did it last year, so I didn't finish it, unfortunately, because I got injured. But um, going into it, obviously, I was the only hand cyclist. I was the only paracyclist. Um, and I fully expected to be at the back and to be last. Not that it was about that, but me and my kind of athlete mindset, it's still like, you know, I'm going to be holding right back at the back of it. Um, but actually, everyone's everyone's different. Everyone's got their own skill set. So even, you know, days in and we're going around Ireland, I'd have people that had come past me. 
but I'm just I'm a diesel engine so I just keep going and keep going and keep going whereas they'll kind of shoot off and then they'll stop for a break for I don't know a couple of hours and then I've passed them whilst they're on the break and then they can pass me again and it was real kind of hair on the tortoise uh, which is really good actually to see that and you know and I might have not slept through some nights uh, so again and people that would have potentially slept so it's everyone's using their own skill set and um dealing with things in their own way um for me ironically so Ireland obviously isn't known for its um so its heat neither is England but <laughs> last year there was the heat wave that we all had and uh, I'd been training out in France because uh, my mum lives out in France and they had a heat wave just before so I was training in kind of like 40 plus degree heat on my bike um and my a friend of mine kind of joked that I'm the only one that does sort of heat prep for Ireland but actually it turned out really well because <laughs> we had quite hot weather whereas a lot of the people didn't cope with the heat so again they weren't able to ride maybe the distances all the time of the day so I think you know you you're never you can't compare yourself against anybody else and you just sort of dig into what you've got but I think tips would be food just eat everything you can find when you can find it um always keep some stuff with you look after yourself that was my downfall I didn't I didn't stop uh much at all <laughs> I think I rode through for about 36 hours to start with um didn't stop and sort of get food in me enough and stuff like that so it's, there's only so much your body can take and then I then it said no that's enough <laughs> so look after yourself um remind yourself why you're doing it find those things to make you smile every day every moment uh, have you got like a mascot or something you're taking with you? Oh, well, I'm doing it as a pair, but I like this idea of a mascot. We'll, we'll get our thinking caps on. <laughs> when, when I was on, when I raced uh, around Britain, around the coast of Britain the year before, so I found a uh, a, a toy, a um, Pluto dog um, on the side of the road in the rain one day. And when I found him, it was just when I needed like that company. You know, I'd done the most of Britain. And so to find this little dog that I sat on the back of my bike for the rest of the ride was everything. So he now comes like on all my adventures. So he came over to Ireland. And just when you're having those those bad times, you know, to have Pluto that we'd have a chat just meant everything. So I, I would fully recommend if you've got something that is whether it's a photo or whether it's a a, a toy or whatever it is. And do you know what's amazing how many other people had them as well? And and some of them, they didn't let on that they'd had these owls or whatever they'd got with them, but they had them in their bag. And then when they met me, they're like, oh okay, well maybe it's okay. And they'd bring them out and put them on their bike. <laughs> and I think if there's something that's not gonna take too much space that maybe is gonna be like your luxury item. So for me it's yeah. always Earl Grey tea bags. That's like if I if everything is absolutely just rubbish, then I had a little stove, I'd make a cup of tea and it was all better. I'm so excited. I'm very, very excited. Um Mel, tell me about, right, the Faroe Islands, okay? And you took yourself off there to do like a basically a bit of bike touring really around the Faroe Islands, okay. A silly question, but how many different words are there in Faroese for fog? And did you see every single type of fog? <laughs> I can't quite remember how many. It's something like, was it 40 or something ridiculous? Yeah, there's so many. And I think I did. I think I saw, yeah, 90% of the different ones. The Faroe Islands are the most incredible, incredible place. Uh, absolutely magical that I had on my mind for many years and I didn't even know why and, and didn't know anything about them, which was a lot why what drew me towards them, I think. Um, but yeah, there are these wild islands, 18 islands up in the um, North Atlantic. 
and nowhere is like more than 3k I think from the sea so obviously obviously everything is ruled by the weather and their weather oh it literally just changes every few minutes um and it'll when I had a bit of sun it was like the best five minutes of sunshine that I'd ever ridden you know <laughs> but it didn't last very long and I think it probably had five minutes in total it rained all the time uh the winds just are so strong the fog is just unbelievable there were some days I just couldn't couldn't ride and people were like what do you mean you can't get out and it's just it was crazy weather but absolutely just breathtaking and so raw and so wild and so friendly the friendliness the the kindness of strangers um I first experienced out in the fair islands was like nothing just absolutely nothing I've, i'd had done before or probably have since and uh, i guess you know had had anybody hand cycled the islands before they people must have been like oh, what are you doing yeah no <laughs> i mean when i when i looked into cycling um the fair islands not many people cycled the islands full stop and i was actually like the tourism office had said you know that well i think they they had like a slogan on their website saying that you'd be a brave but soul to try and cycle the fair islands and i thought well doesn't say you can't then so <laughs> uh, no i don't believe a hand, any hand cyclist has ever done and probably not since either uh, i do remember one particular i mean every every time i was out then someone would stop and wouldn't have conversations they'd sort of pull up or i'd be at a junction of a road or something and somebody would would stop their car to come and have a chat and like who are you what are you doing what does your flag mean and all these sort of questions and there'd be not that there's much traffic on the roads at all but any cars that would appear, they'd sort of start queuing up behind. And I remember thinking, well, they're going to get really angry. But nobody did. They sit there patiently. Nobody toots. And, and it's just people just want to want to chat to people. And I had another experience with a, um, a guy on one of the islands. Again, he just stopped his truck and just stared at me. And I didn't really know what to do. And I just sort of smiled and he just kept staring. And this went on about five minutes and he just kept staring and I just kept smiling. <laughs> And eventually, and I sort of waved, and he just drove off. But I'm not quite sure what he thought he saw. <laughs> so, what surprised you most about the Faroe Islands? Definitely the people. Do you know what? I went there. I didn't. I think I realised I wasn't in a great place in my head, and I went there because I felt that I needed to get away, and I needed to be on my own, and I needed to spend time on my own in my bike, which I love doing. And in a way, you know, obviously, I did need to spend time on my bike because everyone always needs to spend time on their bike. <laughs> but actually, I being out there, and at the time, sometimes when the weather was so bad, and I was stuck on my own, I was in a little hut on my own or something. And I realised that's kind of not where I needed to be. And being out there and, and meeting so many wonderful people, some um, the communities there that are just so tight knit and just because they have to look after each other because it is so wild out there, they have to just have each other's back. And the, the friendliness and the kindness that they showed me, that like these strangers without, you know, people would just stop me on the road and say, come in for tea and, and would sort of lay the table and, and like have me there till the evening eating food. Um, Another person stopped me and she'd offered to wash my hair for me because I really cleared it at a point that it was looking that bad. But it was just like the lovely, kind people that were, were putting me up. And um, I just realised, actually, what I needed was the right people around me. And I think, I mean, I've always sort of gone from that to um, to remember that and to think, actually, it, it is people around you, but that have that right team, have those, those right cheerleaders around you, for sure. Um, but also, I went there to sort of try and say yes to every opportunity because I know we have to be careful in life and we have to look after ourselves. Um, but there's that sort of borderline of 
not trusting anybody or anything and not wanted to speak to anybody and not wanted to smile and have eye contact and that kind of thing. Whereas out there, I was like, you know, I'm just going to, as long as it's safe, you know, say yes to every opportunity. And, and it just, if you're approachable and you want, if you smile at people, they smile back. If you, you know, have eye contact that they want to ask you questions and it just changes everything. And I remember it was really, really stuck with me that coming back from the Fair Islands, that's how I wanted to carry on. And I wanted to bring a part, that part of the Fair Islands back home. Um, and I do have to remind myself every now and again when I'm having a bad day and I'm just staying at the floor. <laughs> but I think that's, that's probably the biggest lesson that, that the islands court taught me. Did you come back and then say yes more as well? Yeah, definitely. Um, just trying to have, I guess, have that trust in human nature. Um, not assume the, not that I don't think I ever did assume the bad in everybody because that's not who I am. But I think just trying to be even more open and and take time to speak to people and have those conversations in the street. And you know, it's just really important, isn't it? Everyone's so busy and um, rushing from one place to another, and you're lucky if you get a you know even look at each other let alone kind of a high or anything but actually you can very easily make someone's day by stopping and talking and having a chat about whatever it is um and and the stories you hear I mean you know the stories that I heard from people over on the islands and on all my travels ever since everybody's got stories to tell and it's so wonderful listening to those stories and they often obviously want to know what you're doing and where you're going and you've got these stories and everyone's got all these stories in them but we're at danger of nobody ever hearing them because you just keep them inside and take them with you and then they're gone, aren't they? They're lost. But if we keep telling those stories and sharing those stories and they just grow and then someone tells someone else about who they've met and what they've told them. And it's just wonderful, that kind of idea of real life storytelling. Which is what I do right here on the podcast. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and now I know um, one listener recently has um, had a bad mountain bike accident and he said Helen I, I'd love a little bit of you know inspiration really because obviously he'd be feeling a bit rock bottom at the moment would you have any thoughts or maybe any yeah any thoughts from perhaps when you had maybe your first stroke maybe your second stroke and that realization that at that particular time maybe you can't do what you have always loved doing and, and the things that kind of keep you sane. People often sort of say, oh, did it follow my strokes? Did it change my outlook, you know, of life and how, going after things? And, and I honestly can say that I, in a way, I don't think it did because I think I've always been that kind of person. I've always been the kind of person, even as a kid, if I want to do something, if I want to explore something or find something, I would find a way of making it happen. And maybe I'm just even more stubborn in that, that I'll do that now um, because, you know, life is so precious and we've seen it far too often that it's just taken away in a, in a second. And so I just think you've got to, you know, it's your life and you've got to make the most of it. And and I, and hopefully you know, people want to be happy. They want to enjoy that and find those ways of, of doing that and find that enjoyment and find that passion and that love for, for living and enjoying and doing everything and seeing everything. And so, yeah, you know, I love to challenge myself. Um, I, I kind of want to, I guess I say, I want to see where those limits are, but I almost want to see that there aren't limits, you know, that you, you will just keep pushing. And like the the person you just mentioned you know obviously they've had a terrible accident and there's going to be things they can't do certainly for a while but there's so much they can do and I always think that there's nothing you can't do you just might have to do it differently you know it may well take longer and it may well be harder most definitely um but you will always find a way of doing it whatever it's going to be you know I'll 
get up a mountain and even if I end up having to crawl the you know meters or something then I will do that or or whatever it is or cycling you know around the country you know I'll just do it differently now I'll do it on three wheels and use my arms instead of my my legs um you just find different ways of doing it and having those that sport team as well whatever that looks like whether it's your family your friends you know a professional team or whoever those people um with you at the time or just in the background you know saying you can do this you've got this it's so so important and yeah you just find your way and just get it just go after it how do you channel that inner frustration of you know that yeah that the, the perhaps the little voices sometimes of oh I I can't do what I could before or I'm slower than I was before or those kind of negative feelings how, how do you channel them into the fact that well I'm focusing on what I can do because there are days when naturally people do get them yeah yeah I mean I think for me because I say I wasn't an athlete I wouldn't say before I mean I jumped horses and it was a bit different so I can't really compare I guess to what I've done the last few years as to what I did previously um one thing that I remember that I really missed I mean I used to I was never great at running but I used to love running and running through puddles and can't do that anymore and I used to love walking like walking in the hills I remember sort of that would be something that would get me but then I found my own way of doing that and whether that's you know on the back of a horse going up in the on the common or or on my um I've got sort of especially um adventure crutches with different bottoms on and stuff like that so I can you know I've got ice spikes and and suspension and all that sort of stuff so again you just find those those ways um I've got friends that have had injuries life-changing injuries doing certain sports or certain things that they've chosen not to go back to those sports and I get that because they're like well I can't do what I could do back then but they do other stuff you know they do wheelchair racing or hand cycling or or anything else um so I think it's it's just finding that place um yeah that, that makes you happy um on the bad days yeah, we get frustrated and we have we have those tantrums. I certainly have that <laughs> probably most weeks in training. <laughs> and you just got to find that toolbox, that mental toolbox. What is it that brings you back? Uh, I do a lot of um, sort of sports psych stuff and, and meditation kind of work. I find that really helps me. And I, I tend to turn to that when I'm having the bad times. Whereas, as we know, we need to kind of practice it when we're having the good days because that's what's going to help, help us most. Um, but I, I find that really important. And when I've gone out on the sort of bigger ultra journeys, to have those tools with me because I know I'm going to have hard days. I will train and I will train to suffer because I know I need to know how I'm going to react when I get into those awful situations. So that's kind of a, a little bit of a sort of sick bit of training, but you know that yeah you're going to be at that point. So let's put yourself there and let's see how you're going to deal with it. So once you kind of know where you're going to, how you're going to feel, you can think, well, what do I need to be doing? And whether that's like you've got a, a treat that you've keeping for emergencies or something that you turn to or, for me, I had certain songs that I would turn to or mantras or, um, yeah, maybe sort of doing a bit of meditation, whatever it is. Um, quite often just having a cup of tea would solve everything. <laughs> but uh, that's the kind that's th- that reset or even in a race, I'll have a word or a, a little symbol that reminds me of something. And it's almost like to focus you, to put you back that place and go, this is, you know, that kind of brings it back to to where you're at and to to why you're doing and that kind of thing. And that's really helpful. But I, you know, the mental side of stuff is as important as the physical side of stuff yeah. in life, I think, as well as training. Mm. And Mel, you're you're very into um, dream big. Mm-hmm. What are your dreams now? <gasps> what are my dreams? Mm. 
I think it's it's evolving, you know, and it is like a we talk about storytelling and I do see it like that. I mean, I, life excites me. Um, it is so precious, isn't it? And I do see it as a, as a storybook. And it's not like I've done that and that's sort of done. It's something else. It's almost just like the next chapter and the next chapter. And where are you going to go now with it? And, you know, I had no obviously idea that I would ever um, race at Paralympics. And 2012 came along and absolutely incredible. Every day I'll be like, this is like a dream. And then the next day, no, this is like the best day of my life. This is like a dream. It just it was just blew me away. And then to go on to to um, world class program, you know, for a few years and doing the things I've done um, has been absolutely amazing. And 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 it's kind of seeing what uh, what I was capable of, you know, hopefully inspiring other people again to get out of their comfort zone, to to live every moment, to set themselves challenges, whatever it might be, to say yes more, you know, all those sort of little things, those little messages. And the more you do, the more you want to do, the more you think, well, how much harder can I push? How much bigger? How much bigger can I? dream and just sort of keep going so I'm I'm if opportunities come obviously I'm going to take them but you've also you make those opportunities you know nothing falls on your lap so for me it's like I'm, I'm out there I'm pushing for things I've got ideas about the ultra stuff that I'll still be doing I know you know places I want to go and where I want to take that and I would just keep pushing that and keep those dreams bigger and bigger and bigger for as long as I can and are you writing a book Mel have you written a book everyone asks me that do you know what I am but I've also been writing a book for a very long time <laughs> the thing is, I may have mentioned before don't like being inside so <laughs> the thing is I need to sit still longer to actually I've written lots of a book um and one day there will be a book but um at the minute I'm living the book <laughs> well I genuinely love your passion for life for adventure for sport for get up and go um and yeah thank you very very much for taking the time to have a chat oh thank you very much for having me it's been really good and i'm excited for your pancaltic journey thanks for listening to the inside try show if you want to get in touch or get a little bit more information on anything then reach out to helen on instagram or twitter at inside try show great to hear what you've been up to over on twitter and on instagram jess congratulations you said i made a solid start to my marathon training with a 10 mile run simon i did my first ever swim in a quarry at five degrees i absolutely blew my mind i love 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 the quarry swim so clear calm and cold jessica you said i had a proper rest day church roast beef walk in the park and an early night perfect I love an early night, Jessica. Absolutely. And Keith, woohoo! Keith has had his first run outside. He said a very slow and steady eight miles, but it was so good not to be on the treadmill. So that was Keith after breaking his wrist. I know exactly how you feel, Keith. The first run I did, Keith, was it was 15 or 20 minutes and it felt utterly horrible. So how you did eight miles is beyond me. So well done. Lottie, you did 125 miles. That was not running. That was on your bike. You said plenty of cake too. It was good to get some solid miles in again and find some cycling motivation. And John, you've had your first proper road ride outside again. You said it was amazing to be back out on the quiet country roads. Me? Well, I did two and a half hours on the turbo actually this weekend it was quite a slog (laughs) and I think part of that is because I did 90 minutes of Welsh learning and that it is just nuts because it's it's really hard to concentrate I think probably walking is the easiest thing to do when using this particular it's called say something to learn Welsh so walking's fine but the bike oh it's so hard because you know on the turbo it's unless you're doing a really tough set like it is quite mind-numbingly 
boring. So yeah, throw in Welsh learning. And I'm like, oh my goodness. But I'm hoping that kind of thing is going to help come July when I'll be doing the Pan-Celtic race because it's just like you just got to keep going you just have to keep on pedaling I had um, I had some snacks and uh, I realized I think I can do two and a half hours before I need a wee so Laurie you're in for a treat with that one I'm going to be stopping all the time but anyway talking about training I, I, I think I have managed to be pretty consistent over the past month or so um, yeah I really have but I am looking forward to having a weekend off this coming weekend gonna go hill walking with friends in North Wales not looking at a training plan. I mean, it'd be interesting to see how many steps we do, but that's literally it. I cannot wait for a bit of time outside in the hills again. And by the way, if you fancy, if you're in the UK and you fancy coming to sort of say hello, I'm going to be doing a half marathon at the Shropshire 80k festival. It's on April the 1st. I'm pretty sure it's a Saturday. The other person who's going to be there and doing I think she's doing the 10k is channel swimmer Sophie Gasson and a few other fab people as well so there is a 10k there's a half there are some longer distances I've put a link in the show notes it's the Shropshire 80k festival last year I did the marathon and um oh one day I am going to do the 80k but if you do the marathon you get a pie at the halfway stage you get barabrith so like fruit loaf um you get like sausages and cheese it's all about the food it's amazing and it's not ridiculously expensive so yeah Shropshire 80k festival go and get on it if you like what I do just a quick reminder you can sign up to be a patron of the podcast it's patreon.com forward slash inside try show This week's episode has been sponsored by Form Swim to help keep you motivated as you swim. For a 15% discount, head over to formswim.com forward slash pages forward slash inside try show. You can also get a 15% discount at prescottsportswear.com until the end of March 2023 with the code inside try 15. It's one use per customer on everything apart from heel jerseys. That is it though for this week. So thank you for listening. Happy training, happy racing, and we'll catch up again next week. Sports Social Podcast Network. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.